So I'm going to ask you and the audience to engage in a little bit of an experiment with me, something that I do with every one of my clients. Okay. So first, just take a second. Nobody's going to get hurt. I promise. Just take a second and identify your dominant hand, right or left. Okay. Now, now that you've got your dominant hand, I want you to snap your finger five times, just like one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Now, Take your index finger, your pointer finger, right? And I want you to draw a capital E right on your forehead. Okay. Now, everybody drew an E on their forehead. When we market ourselves, what we really are doing is we're presenting, we're presenting ourselves to the world, right? And they see us through a lens. We have to appropriate their view of us. chance trying to say that you think this business of yours is important that's exactly the way i feel about it hi there i'm lexi thanks for tuning into small world big people a podcast for curious people who love asking questions and learning new things Small World Big People is an experiment in which I get to ask people of all backgrounds interesting questions so we can learn new things and be inspired. Today's guest was very interesting to talk to. Whether you're looking to sell yourself, a product, or a service, Eric Hansen has a few tips for you. Eric Hansen is the founder and CEO of Fake Tie, an organization that teaches people how to be and look like heroes in front of their peers and bosses. Eric has a solid track record in leading sales initiatives, nine different life coach certifications, and the sales and marketing expertise you need to sell yourself as an employee or entrepreneur. Keep an eye out for his book to be released this fall, The Seven Laws of Startups, where he shares his fundamental approach to starting any business. If you're looking to up your game on selling yourself or product, connect with him on his website at faketie.com. Let's get started. So um, yeah, let's do it. You ready? <laughs> I right. think so. I, you know, this, this is really exciting. I mean, I like just the idea of engaging in this stuff. So I've never really had a chance to you know, to, I guess, to tell my story in any real meaningful way. So this is, it's kind of fun, you know? Cool. Yeah, it is fun. So I'm really excited to dive into your journey. I like super LinkedIn stalked you. Um, (laughs) Your resume is beefy. So you have a solid track record in like leading sales initiatives, um, a ton of different life coach certifications. And in 2020 or 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, you started Fake Tie where you help people quote, make more money on their passions than they do with their clock me in request time off, kiss management's butt nine to five and drum roll, please. You're releasing your first book this fall. So you're awesome. <laughs> Let's start out. Um, did I get anything wrong or where did, where did you all start with this? Yeah, no, you, you didn't get anything wrong. I, I started really through a series of, of catastrophic events, right? So I had moved to Colorado in hopes of engaging or starting in a new industry. I wanted to be 
in IT. I went from healthcare. I went, I moved to Colorado. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go make million dollars a year in IT. And I'm, I'm going to carry these sales skills I've acquired to, to something else. And I got here, started the job and they planted me behind a desk, just cold calling people every day. And it was not for me. Some people can really, can really get behind that, but I, I just need that interaction, interaction with people face to face. So um, we, I was fortunate to, to have a lot of success there in my short time, but I ended up resigning in January. Pay attention to this day here. I ended up resigning in January of 2020. And things were not so bad because we walked out of there with a commission check and my wife had a job as a social worker. So we're like, okay, we've got some time to really figure out what it is that we're going to do with our lives. Well, it wasn't much more than a month later that the world had de-evolved into chaos. (laughs) COVID struck and I couldn't find a job to save my life. I didn't know what to do. My wife was making just about enough money for us to pay the bills. And it was absolutely not an option for me to start dipping into savings. So I needed to find a way to generate supplemental income. And what that meant was I needed to first identify what it was that I could do that might might help me get there. In 2019, I built a website using really simple software and stuff from a plug and play type of website, Squarespace. Now, that in and itself didn't mean a lot, but I had such feedback on the website from everybody we were who came to the wedding that I was like, well, maybe I actually have something here. Maybe I was pretty good at it because they were telling me they've never seen anything as good. And, you know, they, they propped me up. I decided because I was short on time that that was what I was going to dive into. So I immediately dug in my heels and began teaching myself coding and website design. And I spent the next 30 days, effectively hours and hours every day, trying to teach me that stuff myself, trying to teach myself that stuff. And um, I realized too, hey, I've got this sales set. Now that I'm done and I've learned this skill, I need to, I need to find a way to, to actually generate money from it. So I started talking to people. I did everything I've ever learned. I cold called, I emailed, I, I went through through tons of steps to, to get people out there and interested. And I had my aha moment when one day I'm shopping at King Supers and I got two calls back to back, both people wanting websites. And like, like that, I had $4,000 in my pocket. And I, I realized, okay, maybe I can run with this. Maybe I can actually do something with this. So over the next several months, I tripped and stumbled over how to create a business. And here I am over a year later, and I make as much money in my side job as I do in my consulting job at an old healthcare company that I used to work for. And it's going to be the thing that I turn into my full-time passion because it's effective. But the message I'm trying to get out there right now is that I learned how to start a business kind of the hard way. And there are really these seven fundamental laws 
to starting a business. And if you follow them from one to seven, by the time you're done, you have a business, a real operating legally recognized business. And while I'm not really coaching people yet on how that becomes a wild success, because that's a piece I'm still working on. And it would be unfair for me to, to present that to the world at this point, I can say that on very short order and with limited finances, you can get started. What is, can you give away the first step or a hint of the first step? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, the steps and everything are, are, are really pretty straightforward, but the first step is what you would expect. It's not really too tricky. And that's why I love it. It's that you have to come up with an idea. You really have to generate something that is, is a viable, workable solution. Um, and many people go through a number of ideas. I guarantee you, you and your listeners, you probably have 30 ideas. And so like many things, what we would do is we'd say, okay, well, let's, let's hone in on the first one, the, the right one, sorry, that is going to help us get started the quickest because we can have big grandiose ideas like starting Uber or Airbnb, right? World changing, status quo changing concepts but we often need capital to get to that point. And so it's totally okay to implement the easy one first, generate and learn from it, begin lining your pockets in that business savings account of yours that's, that's ultimately designed to, to help you accomplish that long-term goal. But the, the, the most important thing to starting a business is starting. Yes, absolutely. Right. It's, <laughs> I think sometimes it's just hard to know where to start. And yeah, it's, yes. um, it seems like, you know, you kind of got the kick in the pants when it was like, oh my gosh, I just made 4,000 bucks. I better <laughs> get to it. And this idea is, is valid. Um, something that I think is really interesting is that you use your sales, um, your sales skills to start your business. And you said you were cold calling and different things like that. Can you uh, dive into that process? What did that look like for you? Yeah, you, you know, because this was sort of new for me, it meant that experimentation was a, a big part of the game. Uh, it, it meant it meant testing the waters. And so you, you often have to you often have to swallow your pride and say, what's really going to help me? Uh, and the, the reality is you have to spread your message. It doesn't matter if you're a baker or a dentist, and it doesn't matter how good your product is because the best baker in the world still has to tell the world that they bake. And so sales helped introduce me to the idea that whether every time you step outside of the door, you're effectively marketing yourself. And what that really boiled down to me is I have to get the message out there. So yeah, I picked up the phone and I called friends first. I called family. I said, who do you know? Who can you help introduce me to? When it wasn't friends and family, I, I asked people, what markets do you know that just need help with websites? Um, I, I happened across one in particular that was familiar to me in the healthcare space. And that was adult family homes. They're everywhere. 
They take care of these, these small groups of people, but they very, uh, they, sorry, they infrequently have any real functioning website. And, and so you have to ask yourself, how does somebody like that know uh, or, or tell the world that they've got this service to offer? And I, uh, I engaged in the cold calling, the emails. I went and I went and tried Facebook advertising. I, I, I just experimented and I did my best to, to approach it as a scientist. Um, my background was sort of in the scientific world while I was in college. And I, I really wanted to make sure that if I was doing this, I was ex- expending my, my efforts and everything in a way that that generated a reliable resource for, for getting that message out there. So I guess the, the real answer to your question is that I had to try everything and there isn't one thing for any particular person that is going to solve their lead gen um, problem, but it is absolutely worth it early in your process to experiment. And I can say that if if you're afraid or hesitant to to tell the world about what it is you do, you're going to have to find ways to get over that. Um, and one of the things we do is we we help coach people to understand that sales isn't this slimy, disgusting thing that we think of when we go and buy a car. Right? It is it is really just a methodology of persuasion. And we do it every day. When you and I first interacted, we were persuading one another about working together on a podcast, right? When you have your kids and they won't eat their vegetables, you have to persuade them to eat them. And so everybody persuades every single day of their life. And it really isn't such a scary thing. And even better still, like all things, it's a learned exercise. So, so it's, it's a really interesting process and you can teach yourself how to generate leads as you've initially asked me by learning how to sell and market yourself. When you, um, you know, when people feel that slimy uh, feeling where they feel like a salesperson, I actually have a friend who asked me specifically, um, you know, how to sell. She said, I feel so slimy. How would you recommend yeah. that people ditch that feeling and, and get into that persuasion? Yeah, that is, that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? It's probably the number one hangup that most people, especially empathetic people have when they're engaging with somebody. And it starts because that person is very likely spending more time in the person they're selling to's head than in their own head. So we're anticipating answers from somebody. We're, we're wondering if they're on to us. I liken it to a magician. Now, not everybody knows much about magic, but I'm kind of like the dorky dad who will do magic for kids. And one of the first things you experience when you're getting ready to do a magic trick for somebody is this total hesitation that the people you're doing the trick for are on to you. They know that you're full of it, right? And 
you have to get over that because they don't actually know your process. They don't know what's going on with you. So you have to get through the trick and then they're wowed. And so similarly with sales, what we're trying to do is we're, we're using a process that we've built for ourselves and we're really trying to present a solution to a problem they have. And if we make the focus solving a problem instead of selling a product, now we don't have to feel like we're manipulating somebody and we don't have to feel like they're on to us. So instead of saying, let me tell you about all of the things that are great about my product or my widget, I should be asking, what are all of the problems you have with your product or widget? Because then I get to tailor my message and really present a dyed in the wool solution so that you feel like I'm more of a consultant than I am a TV personality. Absolutely. Um, I was reading the story on your website and LinkedIn, and it talks about a hamburger stand. And you said, um, you know, tell me, tell, I'll give you, we'll go head to head. I just need one thing, um, basically. And you can tell the story better than I can. But if you give me one thing, um, I will come out ahead. And can you tell us what that one thing is? Yeah, I have to do this story some justice because it's not my idea, but it is absolutely brilliant. And I use it with a number of my clients. And this is also shedding some insight into sort of the more advanced elements of our coaching process. So after we've helped, after we've helped kind of undress you and get into a, a position where you feel confident to move forward and market yourself to the world, we start talking about the, the more specific elements. And so Gary Halbert is this world famous copywriter. And for those of you who don't know copywriting, it's, it's essentially the art of persuasion by writing. So if you've ever gotten a piece of mail that's trying to convince you to work for a credit card company, or if you've ever gotten a, a random email that's asking you to buy something, those people are copywriters. Some of them are phenomenally good and others are just run of the mill. But Gary Halbert was an incredible copywriter. And his message about the hamburger stand sort of goes like this. If if you and I both owned a hamburger stand and we were in a contest to sell the most hamburgers, what advantages would you most like on your side? And he'd say, the answers vary. Some people want the best meat. Other people want to have these amazing artisan buns. Some want a perfect location uh, or lowest prices is very often a common answer, right? But it goes on. Anyway, after his students, or in this case, my students get done telling me about what advantages they want, I often will say, okay, I'll give you every single advantage you've asked for. I, on the other hand, only want one advantage. And if you give it to me, I will whip your pants off. That advantage, they'll, 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 you know, they're going to ask, okay, well, what is it you want? By this point, everybody's curious. I say the one advantage I want is a starving crowd. Now think about it. What I'm trying to teach is to be constantly on the lookout for groups of people, in this case markets, who have demonstrated that they're starving or at least hungry for your product and service. Now, the first thing we do here is we, we, we kind of address what the options are to 
to capture that market because that's the real question here. How do we actually get that starving market to come in and, and work with us? And our first possibility, recognizing here that this thought experiment is based on some old copywriting literature because Gary Halbert typically was sending out direct to consumer mail, but he would say, well, we could mail our product service disclaimer to people whose names and addresses we get right out of the telephone book. <laughs> he's, he's even talking about telephone books. Okay, <laughs> but the thought experiment still holds water because we can eventually apply this to whatever it is that we're doing, whether that's digital marketing or networking at conferences, we can tweak this. You know, he, he continues on though to tell us that this is a terrible idea, right? Just pulling names and addresses from a phone book gives us way too many non-prospects. The only thing in common that these people have is that they all share a phone. And some of the people won't have any money to invest. Some of them never purchase anything by mail. Some of them are too busy or even uninterested. So this is kind of like shooting with a shotgun when we really wanna be shooting with a rifle. And we continue through this thought experiment until we get to the end, which is another incredibly obvious solution to our, mar to our marketing and our networking. But we realized that the best group for us to be marketing to is the group of people that responds better than everyone else. And they are a list of your own customers. So in between choosing a random group of names in a phone book or on a directory and working with your existing customers to try to market them are a series of steps that we would work through to help you identify the best candidate for you to sell and market your products to. And they can range anywhere from people who've bought things in the market that are similar to to people who are already in your emails list. And as we work through each one of the steps, we, we, we try to find ways to generate those leads for our clients. Gotcha. And you offer eight ways to find those hungry people. Um, can you offer our listeners just um, a few of like your top, maybe top three to find those hungry people? Yeah. Uh, so the, they are varied and it, it is going to depend on a, a market space. Um, but you can effectively elect to use a finite number of things from, from cold calling on the phone to advertising on Google and LinkedIn to working your referral network and generating email campaigns. Each one of those serves its own purpose and has its own function. And really where the eight processes come into play or the eight steps in this hamburger stand thought experiment come into play is you have to work to figure out which of these is going to apply best. You have to test them out and find the ones that will, will substantiate your, your network. So when we talk about our first possibility, maybe, maybe it's more helpful to, to say, let's not target the, the random folks. Let's see if we could do better. So what if, what if we identified people who had, who we knew had bought hamburgers before and we knew that they were frequently engaged in, in 
buying hamburger and hamburger related materials. That becomes the kind of place where we, we, we go to SEMrush, we go to um, answerthepublic.com, and we try to identify people who are actually engaged in searching for the hamburgers that we're trying to sell. So answerthepublic.com is totally free. If your listeners haven't heard of it before, it's the exact kind of site that we want to use because it will say, Lexi is searching for hamburgers with artisan buns. She lives in Denver and she was just recently searching this this month. That's a little creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Now I I should clarify, it won't quite say Lexi's doing it, but it will say on Google, this is the number of people who are searching for this exact term, this exact phrase. So as marketers, as people who are trying to identify our target audience, we use resources like that to, to engage that audience and find a much more targeted individual. Absolutely. That's great. So you can know if you're, if you're, if your market is in the place where you're searching or where you're thinking you're going to sell your product, basically. Right. Right. And that leads to a number of the other steps. We, we don't just want to know that they're hungry, right? It's not good enough, for instance, to have a hamburger stand with people who are hungry. They have to be near you. They have to, they have to live in your area or you actually have to be able to reach out to them in the case of a digital marketing company where you could work with anybody in the world. But you have to identify some basic fundamental elements of that, that audience. And, and that includes where do they live? Um, have they bought these things before? Because somebody who buys hamburgers frequently is much more likely to buy them again. Are they buying, have they bought recently? Because that's somebody who's even better to target than somebody who bought 10 years ago. So, so this hamburger thought experiment of ours really helps us at the most fundamental level, identify what I call our avatar. And other people, I think, probably call it that. But it's effectively trying to identify your perfect, your perfect candidate, who's the number one type of, of, um, of candidate that you would want to sell something to. I, I've heard of the, like the customer avatar, you build it kind of, it's basically their, you know, demographics and different things like that. So um, have you actually, I mean, do you write these down? Are you, you're helping people build their avatars? What if, I guess the question that popped into my mind, kind of a little caveat here, what if your customer doesn't know they're hungry? So like Henry Ford, he said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses, um, not far, right? So yeah. do you come across that very often where maybe you have you have a client or you have a product where maybe your customer doesn't know they're hungry yet? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think actually the majority of customers don't don't know that. And to your point with Henry Ford, Steve Jobs famously said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you have to tell your audience what they want. Now, while I don't think that's necessarily true in all cases, we have sort of this, this pyramid of customers. At the very top are the 3% of customers who know what they want, they're ready to buy, they've decided I want a hamburger right now because I'm hungry. And they're looking for the closest hamburger stand they can get to. Well, beneath those people, we have uh, 
20 or so percent of people who are starting to feel the rumblings in their stomach. They've decided that they, they want to eat, but they haven't quite decided that they want a hamburger. So with that part of our market, we have to inspire them to want our hamburger. The good news is though, they're easier to target because they've already got the rumblings in their stomach. To your point, we have a huge percent that's left who are, who are still kind of trying to figure out what to do. Maybe they're like, well, it's lunchtime. I'm supposed to be hungry, but nothing strikes me. So we have to work really through that that larger audience. And I love that you've brought this up because most people and most websites, and I mean the vast majority of them, target that 3% and they leave the other 97% of consumers off the plate. So when you go to a website and it has, it's basically an informational site. This is who we are. This is what we do. All we do is talk about ourselves. And then here's a call to action coming by our product. They've basically decided the only portion of the audience that they want to capture is that remaining or is that 3% who's already ready to buy. And that's all they're going to get. The 97% that's left has to be convinced or moved more accurately, persuaded to move from where they are to that 3%. So if you're at 97% and you aren't hungry, then we're building a process either in either in marketing through email campaigns or in targeted ad space. And we're, we're telling people, hey, lunch is coming up and there's this great burger stand nearby and, and we're talking about it. And we're probably doing that for some time and we're, because we need them to go from, I didn't even know I was hungry to, okay, now I'm hungry. And then further to, I'm hungry and I want a burger. And then all the way to, I'm hungry and I want a burger at this hamburger stand. So our goal is to to find out and target each stage independently of itself and help move those people up and down the pyramid in a way that that encourages them to 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 buy our product. In this case, a hamburger. And that's a pretty fluid process. It's kind of you it's rinse and repeat, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean the beauty in all this and and the thing that I love about it is it's finite. I would, this would be a much more challenging enterprise for me to coach on if there were an infinite number of ways to, to tell somebody and teach somebody about getting their product out in front of the world. The reality is there's a finite number of ways to do it. And once you've identified them in your space, the trick is refining it until you have a, a working and functioning product. Well, and I think that that's a, that's a huge challenge that so many people face. I mean, they have this wonderful product, um, but uh, many people aren't salespeople. So I think, would you recommend they reach out to someone? Would you recommend that they, what would be, so I have a product, I want to sell it, but I don't know what to do. What's the first step that I should take? Yeah. Um, so we, we've got a product and we have to sell it. I, I think, I think if we focus on that part, then, then really what we're trying to do is, is develop a message. So you have to start by making sure that you've got a message you can present. So take the time to triage. And I spent a little bit of time learning some EMT stuff, though I never pursued it. And I learned about triage. This is where 
this is where and I, I don't I want to paint a prettier picture because it's in reality, it's a pretty nasty thing. But this is where you decide who lives and who dies at the beginning of a, a major catastrophe. Right. In our for our purposes, when we're triaging, we're making sure that this this product or service that we want to get out there first is viable. So you really do have to ask yourself, have I pres- have I come up with something that will work? And I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he calls it the MVP, the minimum viable product. So the first thing you do is you build something as quickly and as easily as you can that you know you can actually present to the world. So now that we've got that product, the the next thing you have to ask yourself is, I, I think, where are you comfortable? And start there. If you're comfortable reaching out to friends and family, do it because it's not as high pressure it's not as intense. And maybe maybe you'll get a couple leads. Maybe you'll even close a couple deals. And before you know it, you're starting to feel like, okay, I really am kind of an expert here. I, I can talk to this. Now, how do I feel talking to a stranger? And if you don't feel comfortable enough to just dive in with a random person or to go cold call somebody at a bar, then just practice. When you, when you bump into a friend, at, um, at a local place, just kind of tell them about what you're doing with no intention of selling them anything. Tell them about it. Practice talking about the thing that you do with, with your spouse or your partner's friends or you, you, know, you go to that work party and you're kind of, you know you're going to have to get to know everybody there. Talk about what you do. Don't, don't solicit. Don't say, hey, I, wanna, I want to work with you. Just flat out talk about it. And what you'll find is that as you get more comfortable conversing around your subject, you'll, you'll enter this space where the last thing you have to do after you've talked about it is you say, guy, you know, I'm really getting this feeling like, like we could work together. Are you interested in partnering on your website? Or are you interested in stopping by my bakery and trying some of my snacks? Suddenly, you're not selling because you've realized that for the last several months while you were engaging in these exercises, you weren't selling then. And you realize that it doesn't have to be an elevator pitch. After that, Lexi, it's a whole series of very technical things and you can get wildly better at it as you learn you know, techniques to improve the likelihood you sell and all that. But to start, just talk about what you do. Just talk about it. And I, I'd be amazed if you, you didn't land a couple clients simply by expressing how passionate and enthusiastic you are about what you do. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, I want to kind of switch gears into um, starting your business. Did you always know you wanted to start a business or was it simply out of necessity? <laughs> When I was growing up, I didn't know my head from a hole in the ground. I I was uh, I had plenty of other focuses. Let's say in high school and college, and some of them got me into some real trouble. I didn't even occur to me until I really started a career that that was something I could do. Um, I worked professionally, and I recognized that there that I was typically a very good employee, and and often promoted quickly. So I, 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 it occurred to me that I had skill sets to advance, and that was kind of where I always saw myself going. I did realize eventually that the one person I wanted to work for most in my life was myself. 
But I just always found that I was overwhelmed by the information. The enormity of the idea was honestly paralyzing. I never got started despite having books of ideas that, that I thought would change the world. But, but you can't change the world if you don't even know, you know how to balance a checkbook, I guess. So I never really engaged in it. For me, it really did take pinning my back against the wall to, to dive in headfirst. So you ended up going into the website development, which then shifted into the coaching. Um, why coaching? What, what was that for you? Yeah. Uh, coaching is this really exciting thing. And uh, there's this common idea that a coach is like a, the, the, the football coach you see on a field giving orders and directing. And, and for me, what was most important about coaching was that was actually was not directing people to try things. It wasn't, it wasn't giving unsolicited advice and then hoping they'll walk away and, and, and engage in that advice. It was, it was walking through the process and helping people act on their own, giving them the tools to think through how they want to accomplish an ends, some, some sort of, some sort of um, final approach to life or to work. And as, as a, in my mind, a coach's job is, is not to, it's not to direct. It is, it's to guide in most cases through a series of ongoing questions. I've dabbled in coaching myself. Um, and I think the hardest thing for me has been, is that I am super results oriented. I really like measurable, like this, I did this and this happened with people. It's really hard to measure. Like, am I actually helping you? How do I quantify that? Do you feel like you're getting your money's worth? Because if you don't, like, I don't, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. What's that like for you? How do you do do that? Well, it's, it is, it is challenging. And, and, you know, we, we are dependent on one another when we're in a coaching session, the way you, you actually asked a very good question. And it's one that, that is, is that should be asked by all coaches at some point, is this working? Do you feel like you're getting any measurable results? And if they say, I don't know, if they say yes, if they say no, it really doesn't matter because my next question is probably going to be, how do you know? How do you know? And, and, if, if you and I were in a coaching session and we were really trying to do that, I, I would literally ask you, how do you feel this is going? Am, am, am I making this worth your time? And I would be sincere. I would want you to feel like I really care about that because I, I don't want to work with you either if I can't help you. We need to find somebody who can. And so when you say, oh, you know, I think it's working, I'd say, okay, how do you know? And hopefully you've got a way to quantify that. But if you don't, then then we're going to talk about it. Well, okay, you mentioned that you wanted to improve on your communication skills. How much have you practiced them over the last week? Well, I practiced them two or three times. Okay, how many opportunities did you have to practice them? Well, I had 100. Every person I saw, I could have practiced my communication skills. Okay, well, why haven't you engaged more people, right? So we can really work through 
a process that allows us to quantify that. But again, it's not up to me to say, oh, I noticed you did 12 journal entries up from eight last week. That must mean my coaching is working. It's up to us to really work through whether or not we've had some success. And if in this example, communication is something you wanted to work on, we would, we would try to figure out really what makes, makes it better. And the end result isn't going to be very measurable. We're not going to be able to just say you are instantaneously a better communicator, but we will be able to say you've engaged, you've practiced, you've noticed that people have said that they're jealous of the way you talk to people. They think they wish that they could, you know, interact with people. Those are the kinds of things we've all heard based on strengths we have, you know, you listen well, or God, you just, the way you write is amazing. We've heard those in other areas. So we're just maybe trying to find a way to get that first compliment from some stranger or somebody, you know, who says, Hey God, you're just, how do you talk to people the way you do? Maybe that's what we do. Absolutely. So we're kind of winding down here. I want to touch one more time on the book, the book, your book, um, the seven, or tell me the name of it again, seven laws of startups, the seven laws of startups, seven laws of startups is coming out this fall. What are you most excited about? What do you want the readers to, what do you want that book to enable readers to do? Yeah. Um, God, what, what an interesting exercise in life. Writing, writing forces you to imagine all kinds of things and to really evaluate yourself as a human. But my, my main takeaway here is, is not so much to review my experience in COVID, though I briefly mentioned that because there is value in recognizing that sometimes what it takes is, is really, really digging your heels in. But I want people to realize that that starting a business, getting started is much easier than you think. And as I mentioned earlier, the key to starting a business is starting. So if you're finding that you're totally overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, my hope is that I've put together a book that allows you to follow those steps such that by the time you're done, you've actually started. Because then I want it to be like the floodgates have opened. Now that I've gotten past that first paralysis, that that overwhelming enormity I mentioned, maybe I can begin the next part, which is really trying to generate a successful business. So I want people to walk away feeling like they can start a business in less than 30 days and they're now in a position to transform that idea they have into something real and substantive. I can't wait to read this book. I'm so excited. Thank um, you. Here's the closing question. One thing I love about the show is that I get to interview real people like you. Um, we haven't necessarily made it by like 10 xing our businesses or like you said, making those unicorn businesses like a, an Uber or something, but we're working hard to create a life that we enjoy um, and we also are, we want, we want to make money, right? So what advice would you give someone who's looking to do the same? Yeah, I, I, I think, by the way, I, I just, I love this question. Okay. And it, it, it's really fun to do. And it, I, I hope that I can shed a little bit of my, my coaching practice here by doing this. So our focus is on, on 
helping people market themselves. That's really what we're trying to do. Because if you can market yourself, you learn to market your business. And it, it's one of those things that has carryover for, for all elements of our life. So I'm going to ask you and the audience to engage in a little bit of an experiment with me, something that I do with every one of my clients. Okay. So first, just take a second. Nobody's going to get hurt. I promise. Just take a second and identify your dominant hand, right or left. Okay. Now, now that you've got your dominant hand, I want you to snap your finger five times, just like one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Now, Take your index finger, your pointer finger, right? And I want you to draw a capital E right on your forehead. Okay. Now, everybody drew an E on their forehead. When we market ourselves, what we really are doing is we're presenting, we're presenting ourselves to the world, right? And they see us through a lens. We have to appropriate their view of us. So Lexi, how did you draw your E? Did you draw it so that your audience could read it or so that you could read it? Uh, first time I did it that I was, I was like, oh, oh, he got me. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no right or wrong answer here. What, what, what I would encourage somebody to do, maybe even on a regular basis before they start thinking about how they're going to market to their avatar or to their audience is I'd say, Draw that E. Make sure that you're drawing your E for the people outside of you. If you really want to market yourself to the world, you should be presenting yourself to them in a way that reflects who you really are. And the best way to do that, unfortunately, is to imagine what they're going through. So this little exercise, drawing an E on your forehead, is to remind us that we have two ways of thinking. We have our way and we have their way. And when we present ourselves and our character to the world, we have to remember that what really matters in their eyes is how they perceive you. So appropriate that focus. I'm sorry, appropriate that perspective. Take on their perspective and then see if that helps you get through a day and display yourself in a more interesting and charismatic way. What an answer. I love that experiment, that little thought experiment. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all of those amazing pieces of advice. I'm so excited to hopefully have you back on the show when your book launches this fall. Um, have I just hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Lexi. This was, a, this was really fun and I look forward to coming back and visiting with you. Thank you so much for listening today. I am really enjoying going on these journeys with you and asking interesting questions. If there's something you want to learn about, let me know. Send me a message and I will do a little investigating for you. You can find me on Instagram at small world, big people. Talk soon.